Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. All right, welcome to episode three. I think this is like our third piece on just trying to lay a foundation for pneumoculture. Today I wanted to talk about culture on some level, but more specifically why pneumoculture got formed in the grand scheme of things. So to do that, I need to go back. I want to go back a ways. So I got saved when I was four years old because I was at a Baptist church. My parents got saved at a business conference and then took us to church for the first time. And this this giant woman in Sunday school told me that if I don't accept Jesus into my heart, I would burn in hell for eternity and my body wouldn't burn up. I would feel the pain forever. And I was like, what? It was terrifying. And so she was like, the only way to, to spare yourself from this is to accept Jesus into your heart and ask him to be your savior and, and forgive you for your sins. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. So I got saved and putting air quotes on that um, when I was four. And then, you know, very shortly after that, got indoctrinated into the Baptist religion and started learning how to do Christian stuff, how to be a Christian, how to be, how to appear humble, how to memorize scripture, how to like learn what's okay to say and what not to say and what's okay to do and what not to do and how to hide the things you do that you're not supposed to do and you know, all this stuff. I got really good at it. Um, and I'm saying that because it was, you know, like it was rough. By the time I was 18, I was pretty much over the Christian thing. I never rebelled. I never walked away from the faith with air quotes on that. I never backslid. None of that ever happened in my life. At least outwardly, you know what I mean? But in my heart, I was like, is this really the deal? No, I never questioned if God existed or if Jesus was the savior of the world or any of that. It was more like, what's so good about what we're doing? Like, if I'm preaching the gospel to people, what am I offering to them that's better than the drugs and the sex and the rock and roll? Like, what am I experiencing in my life that's better than what they have? I was getting just really honest with myself. I'm like, I don't know that it's there. I'm not sure that there's a ton here to like be able to give, at least that I'm aware of, you know? And just had this like weird like aching question like is this really it because if this is it this is pretty boring and i don't know if i want this i mean like i felt like i'd reached the pinnacle of christianity and it wasn't that good oh it was rough yeah anyway and so shortly after that place where i just started getting really honest with myself i had my very first what you what at bethel we call an encounter with god where legitimately god showed up and interacted with me and represented himself independent of my brain of my motives of my will he was expressing himself to me and just was ruining my life. It was devastating. When God talks to you guys, when it's him and especially when it's new and you've never met him before, like it is devastating. It like destroys your life in the best ways, obviously, but you're losing all these things that have been so realistic and important and central to your existence and your personality and your agenda and your purpose. When he shows up and that stuff goes away, you're like, holy crap, who am I? What am I doing? What have I been doing with my life? You know, and so I had this really sobering repentance thing happening where the Lord basically revealed to me that everything I was doing in my life was about me, my ministry, my relationships, my job, my time, my priorities, all this stuff was about how Mike could have the best experience. And I had been saying that I was serving Jesus, you know what I mean? With air quotes on that. 
And I was like, oh, and it was just like this deep realization that what he was saying was true. And I didn't feel condemned. I felt convicted. I felt exposed. And finally, for the first time in who knows how, who knows how long, I got to see what was really going on. I was like, oh, this is true. And it was like, there's this sorrowful like, repentance going on. Um, and anyway, after that, he showed up again and just continued to sort of to speak to me. And then like repeatedly, he would just show up and just kind of devastate my world, legitimately just break things down and revealed how much he loved me. And it wasn't in English. It was like this energetic exchange. It was, it was deep. Like I didn't have language for what was happening to me. I would just weep. <laughs> I would just like intensely weep. Fluids would just flood out of my face because I was just so undone by the beauty and the, the holiness and the, innocence and the humility of God. I just could not handle him. He was so kind and so gentle and so lowly of heart. I, he was not like what I was told or what I thought I was told. I just was not prepared for that. Ruined my life in the best way. I'm so grateful. And I've never been the same since it has changed my life meeting God. <laughs> and so when I talk to people who are like, yeah, I know God and their life hasn't changed and they don't like have these things coming out from inside of them. I'm like, man, I'm a little nervous. Like, have you actually met this dude? Do you actually know him? Are you doing the Christian thing like I was doing for so long? You know what I mean? I don't want to make anybody paranoid. I'm not trying to like, you know, sow fear in anybody's life, but I definitely do want to question, do you think you actually have what you're saying you have if your experience is not reflecting one of transformation, one of utter repentance from what has always been quote unquote normal to a place where you're actually releasing something new that you don't even necessarily have control over, but you're aware is right and good and true and beyond you. You know what I mean? Anyways, that's a conversation for another time, I'm sure. But in that I started like just realizing this huge discrepancy in the church, specifically in the context of religion, where there's this thing that we'll call religion, right? The spirit of religion, where there's this form without power, this practice to try and like clean ourselves up to behave and like do the right things, um, have our resume look good and sparkly, but in inwardly, not actually fulfilled, not actually vibrant with life. We don't have joy overflowing. We don't have this abundant life coming out of us. We don't have this river of living water splashing us around, showing us how to live and where to go. Like that's missing. We look great and we sound awesome and we're so pious and nice and polite, but our lives don't reflect power and transformation and being of another kingdom. You know what I mean? That to me is death. I can't go back to that. And not that I'd ever would, but like the idea of trying to live a life according to what man has decided is successful or awesome sounds like hell to me. That sounds like miserable, miserable because that's what I did for a while. And it was so unfulfilling, you know what I mean? And so anyway, I just started getting really specific about recognizing things that I was that were distinct to me about church culture, especially. And I don't want to be super critical of the church, of the Christian church, like, you know, Christianity. Like I'm not trying to pick on these guys. Cause I mean, they're my family. It's where I came from. These are my people. So I'm not trying to say this as like a separatist, like critical condemning, you know, dissertation. It's more like, my gosh, my family still doesn't get it. There's stuff here we're missing. And I'm not saying that from an authoritative place either necessarily. Maybe there is authority in this, but I, that's not my goal. Again, I'm trying to come at this as an explorer, right? Somebody who's on the road with us, with each, with you guys, right? Like taking notes on things that I'm aware of, things I've experienced, things I believe. And a lot of this, I think actually really matters. And so um, I spent, you know, I spent 14 years doing the Christian thing, being a professional Christian and like just, there was no retirement fund. There were no benefits. <laughs> there was not 
like what was promised on the brochure, it didn't come through. Like I didn't get it. It wasn't there. I'm like, oh, this is empty. It's bro. It's this isn't it. You know what I mean? So anyway, all that to say, like, I hope it goes without saying that <laughs> Jesus is the deal, not Christianity. Jesus is the deal, not the Bible. Ooh, Jesus is the deal, not your eternal salvation. And again, I'm not saying that we need to throw away any of that stuff. Those things are all subject to Jesus. And if we don't have him, we have nothing. All right. So there's that. that's the deal. And so in that, I just started like taking more inventory on what I did value and prioritize and had to start learning how to let go of some of this stuff. Like, especially what people think. That was a huge one I had to learn to let go of. I used to be such a nice guy. I used to be so nice. Oh my God, I was the nicest person ever. And I've got some nice people around me and I'm like, no, I had them beat. I was nice, nicer than them. I was so nice. And I was like skilled and deft at being nice. And I was like unique and expressive, but still so nice. And right now it's kind of nauseating just remembering that because it was a lie. I was not actually a nice person. I was pretending. I was peddling for my acceptance and approval and like getting what I thought I needed to get out of this experience in order for it to be worth it to me. So I was nice to, you know, pay my dues. And I'm not saying I never actually had compassion in my heart for people or genuine regard for them because I did at times, but the majority of my motive and experience was coming from this place of trying to earn approval and acceptance. Nightmare. Period. Right. And so anyway, um, graduating from that place and realizing that it was a lie, I had to start learning how to say no to people. I had to start learning how to confront evil in my environment, in my relationships, how to say like, listen, I don't love that. Hey, that sucks for me. Hey, that hurts. Hey, I don't like that. I don't think that's okay. In my relationships with people I cared about who I did relationship with, I would see the next day. You know what I mean? I'm not just going to like send them a letter and then never see them again. I'm like, this person, this is a person I'm going to see tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. Like they're not going away. You know what I mean? And like learning how to say no to these people was terrifying because I was so addicted to pleasing everybody. And, you know, the biggest fear in that for me was if I said no and I had a standard for how we connected, would they show up again or would I lose all my friends? Do I not actually have any real friends? And if that's true, do I want to go down this road or do I at least have fake friendships? Is that better than not having friends at all? You know what I mean? That was really the wager that I had to like engage with. And you guys, one of the things that's fascinating about evil is, and I I think part of me is like promising myself I'm not going to teach on this. So I'm going to keep this very brief, but something we just need to understand is whenever you break up with evil in your life, whether it's being super polite because you're fake or like manipulating people or whatever the thing is you're going to kick to get evil out of your life, evil is going to participate in that journey with you. They are going to push back. Evil is going to say to you, listen, if you say no to this person, if you confront this behavior, if you like decide that this standard isn't being met and you communicate that to them, they're never going to show up again. They're going to judge you. They're going to hate you. You're going to seem like a total blah, 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 right? All this accusation and like punishment starts coming out of your own process, in your own mind, in your feelings as you consider walking truth out in your relationships right and it becomes terrifying and all of a sudden it becomes really expensive and you're like oh my gosh can i afford to walk with jesus or do i need to do the other thing because this feels devastating and so i had a couple moments in my life initially where i was starting to trade up in my economy and the things that i valued where i had to like let go of some stuff that i was addicted to specifically namely pleasing other people because if i didn't please them i wasn't sure they would actually care about me I thought their care for me was based on how I treated them and how I I made them feel. So basically, at the end of the day, I was manipulating everyone. I was lying to everyone. I'm not trying to be extreme or dramatic. I do mean this. 
I was manipulating and lying in all of my relationships. It was a disaster. So when I started saying no and I got brave and I chose to risk it, and I was like, you know what? I'd rather be alone walking with Jesus in the light than have all these friends and still be like misguided, still be deceived, still be entrenched in a dysfunctional ecosystem. So I cast my lot there. And you guys, you have to understand in this place, I also had a community of people around me. I was going through BSSM as I was making these choices. And so I had a support system of people who were also going after the same stuff. They had the same values. They were like-minded and they had intensity in their approaches as well. So I was supported and empowered in taking these risks, right? So as that was happening, um, I had to say yes to like intense loss because I had no promise or guarantee that I wouldn't lose those things. I had no way of knowing it. I had friends who would try and tell me, but here's the thing, you guys, when you break up with evil and you're on the compromised side of the chicken line, you don't get to know what's going to happen on the other side. That is the nature of trust. You don't get to know what's going to happen. The only way you're going to discover what's real is to cast your lot, is to take the risk, is to commit. Okay. So I did it. And oh my gosh, I could tell you so many stories of how intensely my heart was beating, how terrified I was because I was literally taking a sledgehammer to the crystal of my own home just destroying what I had always found refuge in and safety and an identity in, right? It was so scary and so painful. So I guess I'm saying this now because I know down this road, as we continue to have this conversation, I do expect courage, guts, trust, faith from people in my environment. I refuse to settle for less than that. And I get to expect that from people because I went through it. I know what it costs. I know what's on the other side. And it is not love from me to let people settle on the compromised side of life. There is no life there. It is disastrous and unfulfilling and boring. Anyway, so started going to town on my relationships and saying no to people. And it was painful. My gosh. And I had to learn some skills. I'm like, how do you have these conversations? What can you say that doesn't come across accusatory or doesn't separate us? Isn't divisive? Isn't blaming somebody? Isn't condemning them? It's actually, what is? what can I do to invite them into connection with me and not sabotage our ability to be friends and still be friends with the truth? And still have a value and a priority for love and for authenticity and connection and intimacy, right? So there was a lot of practice that happened that caused me to develop a lot of powerful skills that I use daily today that I don't even think about anymore, right? That stuff got established back then. But one of the most profound things that I experienced in this wager was when I stopped saying yes to fearing other people and pleasing them in our relationship, I started feeling so known so understood, so represented. I felt powerful. I felt, un- I felt, um, represent. I felt like I was advocating for some little boy that had been shoved in a closet in a dungeon somewhere a long time ago. And that- who really mattered all of a sudden he started getting to be part of my experience again. And I started to get to represent him to the world and any love that was given at this point, I could feel feel, I could cry just talking about this. I could feel the love that people had always had for me that I could not receive because everything I was doing was a lie, was fake. So the, the, any affection that was directed toward that dude, I couldn't receive it because I didn't believe it because what I was giving them wasn't me. Right. And so when I started showing up as Mike, the love that people gave me was hitting me in a way that I couldn't protect myself from. And it was like, wrecking me in the best ways. I was like, holy cow. Because I was experiencing that with God, but I didn't know how to do it with people yet. I was still trying to figure out what do you do with humans who have messy judgments and systems and filters and planks in their eyes, right? And agendas and whatever. How do you let them give love to you and receive it when you're aware of all this nasty stuff, right? That discernment thing was still working. So I was very aware of all this dysfunction in a lot of people. It made trusting them and receiving love for them kind of a 
a challenge. Anyway, so as I started stepping onto the scene and embracing the humble posture of, I'm not always right. I don't have it all together. I do get upset. I do get my feelings hurt. I don't like some things. I do want to say no. As I started admitting that, it built this, I don't know, this bridge and this connection, this this portal into my own heart where love could actually flood me. And I was like, whoa. And my relationships went to a whole different level. And all of a sudden, I could not settle for anything else. I was never going to let myself embrace a fake relationship at that point because fake ones were so boring and empty and unrewarding there was no substance to it and so that evolved and you know we'll get into that later too but anyway all that to say as that process continued to happen i started realizing there were so many contributing factors to what is influencing our choices and our behavior and our priorities especially in relationships and if we could separate evil influencing us from the spirit realm from what we actually want and how the holy spirit is is um, you know vibing inside of us if you will expressing himself if we could separate that stuff say no to the evil and say yes to god he's terrifying he's trusting he's vulnerable he's generous he gives himself away he is kind and humble like when we choose to follow him in relationship it is insane what happens to you you become loved I mean, you, you're loved by the Lord and hopefully we're aware of that, you know, but then with other people, there's something about love and connection with them that God moves through that is, he doesn't do anywhere other way. He wants to move through others. It's so interesting. Like he's such a communal person. It's so peculiar. He is such a fascinating person, seriously. And you can't know him or understand him while you suck on manipulation or control or shame or fear or, you know, any of the stuff, especially. And you have to notice, like, a lot of evil goes after connection. A lot of evil sabotages and distorts and, like, degrades connection with other people. There's a constant agenda for divisiveness, for disconnect, for isolating, for making people feel alone, you know, ashamed, nasty, unlovable, unworthy. Evil's constantly doing that. It's almost always the opposite of connection. It's almost always trying to prevent, like, stop, sever connection fascinating love is always doing the other thing he's reaching he's giving he's con- he's connecting he's pursuing right and so as we learn to walk with the lord as we say no to evil we learn to walk with the lord it changes how we do relationships it changes how we do family it changes how we do community it changes the rhythm of our lives it changes the priority of our schedules it changes what gets put in the books right? That's a thing. And so in Numa culture, it's a very strong pronounced practice in my world where we intentionally prioritize connection in, a, in all of the things that we're doing. We never sacrifice connection for the sake of accomplishing a thing. We're always prioritizing the connection piece in addition to, like it's leading everything else we're doing. And the things that we do come as a, an expression and an overflow of the priority of following the Lord in this place. And he's very interested in how you treat and connect to the people around you. Yeah. So anyway, that being a bit of a foundation, started noticing that in the church, there's a lot of superstition when it comes to spiritual warfare, when it comes to the spirit realm, when it comes to how evil participates, when it comes to how we as human beings actually function and operate. There's superstition, there's ignorance, there's control, there's evil in that space, which causes us to come to very strange conclusions. I'm not making a blanket statement about every believer everywhere always. I'm saying in general, though, in my experiences, I've traveled and ministered in many different environments and been in environments my whole life of Christianity, there are beliefs and attitudes and patterns of how people live and choose in that space that are not in line with the truth, that are not based on reality. They're based on false beliefs. 
things that they've been taught by other people or even demons as opposed to what Jesus teaches. Yes, I'm talking about Christians in the church. Yes, some people who speak from a pulpit believe things that are not true, that are unbiblical, and they teach people how to believe unbiblical things and they use the Bible to prove their unbiblical points. It's insane. I know it sounds crazy. It's a thing. And am I saying I have all the answers? No, I'm not saying that. Again, I'm not the expert here. What I am saying, though, is there is stuff that gets taught, that gets propagated, that gets practiced within Christian culture that is actually contrary to the nature of God. As an example, oh, man, there's so many examples. I don't have time for any of them. We'll get into this stuff later, you guys. But um, anyway, one of the things I wanted to talk about in this episode is I want to just give some context in the story, at least from Mike's perspective, on how did we get to this place where the connection has become the priority that it is that doesn't always seem to be the priority in other environments. Um, and then also, especially when it comes to Christianity and spirituality and walking out authority and understanding in this space, there's actually a level and a degree of competency and intelligence we are capable of having here that we should have that we don't have because of all these factors, because of the superstition, because of the fear, because of the need for control, because of a lack of value, because of apathy or whatever, right? Um, ignorance. And so one of the things that we as Numa culture here would like to accomplish in the world is we want to elevate the spiritual intelligence of the planet. I would like to teach people what's actually going on in the spirit realm. I don't mean in the cosmos necessarily. Maybe we'll get there at some point, but I want to start with in your living room, in your bedroom, in your car, in your relationships, right? As you engage with other people and how you manage those connections, I want to start there because how we've learned to build and connect to other people and the intimacy piece, what we've learned there sabotages our ability to relate to the Lord if it's based on things that aren't true, right? So I spend a lot of time and energy working on how people know to connect with each other and, you know, refining the quality and the nature of that stuff to align with the truth and the nature of love and how God manages all this expresses himself in this place so that we can build legitimate formed connections where this thing, this magical, fascinating, supernatural thing that we'll call unity starts to take place. It's not just like an idea. It's an actual substance that manifests within a community of people who said yes to a thing that unity brings, like shows up and brings this productivity, this vibrancy, this passion, this drive, this focus, this sacrificial love. It's fascinating. It's necessary. And I'm like, man, we actually can't get to this place. We don't get ourselves there. Obviously, the Lord leads us here. But we can't actually follow him there. While we still believe, we get to accuse other people. While we still believe, we get to punish people. While we still believe, we get to reject people. While we still believe that we have to earn things from them. While we still believe that we need to prove something to them or convince them of stuff. While those values and priorities are in our systems, we won't get to follow the Lord into a place where actual unity can be established. And so pneumoculture is stepping onto the scene to bring some legitimate equipping, some tools, some concepts, some practices, banking on obviously spiritual discernment, knowing the difference between what you're saying yes to, and then practicing this in the context of faith expressing itself through love. Okay. So we're going to get into this stuff. You guys, this whole podcast is supposed to be like, I want to explain and describe and confess the journey we've been on. What are the practical things we're wrestling through? Beautiful, amazing stories, some painful things. Like we're going to get into this stuff, you guys. And I want to just kind of share my notes on this road that I've been on for some years now of what's been successful, what's sucked, and ultimately just opening the doors for you to get some notes on what you're going through and ultimately just trying to puncture some holes in your soul where the Holy Spirit can flood you and, you know, some new stuff can come through. So hopefully that's going to be the case here. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.